Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend message with you from Pastor Mark Batterson, our lead pastor at NCC. If you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to theaterchurch.com. Uh, Last weekend, we wrapped up our Reboot series with Dick Foth. Uh, Yeah, awesome. And uh, we have a special event Sunday night. You've heard about it, Uh, our uh, kickoff for Lent. And so I want to encourage you to either be at the Miracle Theater at 7 o'clock or uh, we are live streaming it so that all of our campuses can kind of get in on that, um, I believe it's going to be an incredible 40-day season. This is a unique weekend at NCC. We call it our state of the church. And let me just say this, the state of the church is strong. <laughs> Thought about having Pastor Joel standing behind me clapping every few minutes. Um, <laughs> decided not to do that. Uh, you can remain seated at all of our campuses during our state of the church, but I think there are some things for us to get excited about. Um, This is really, if you're a guest, about who we are and where we've been, how we got here, and a little bit about where we're headed as a church. If you have a Bible with you this weekend, you can turn to John chapter 6, but let me put this in context. There are seven miracles recorded in John's gospel. Each miracle displays a unique dimension of Jesus' power, and I might suggest a unique dimension of his personality. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He performed miracles and signs and wonders. And John, who was one of his best friends, wrote about seven of those miracles in his gospel. In John 2, Jesus changes the molecular structure of water and turns it into wine, not just wine, but fine wine. In John 4, he heals a nobleman's son long distance, 16 miles away. Uh, Listen, God um, is not limited by past, present, or future. Uh, God is not limited by here or there. He is omnipotent and omnipresent. He is here, there, and everywhere. In John 5, he heals a man who hasn't walked in 38 years with one command, pick up your mat and walk. In John 6, uh, the same Jesus who turned water into wine walks on it. In John 9, Uh, Jesus heals a man born blind, emphasis on born. What that means is there was no synaptic connections between the optic nerve and visual cortex in the brain. This is not fixing an astigmatism. This is installing a new synaptic pathway. This is nothing less than synaptogenesis. And finally, in John 11, it's the grim reaper versus the grave robber. Lazarus has been four days dead, but it's not over until God says it's over. Uh, We too often put a period where God puts a comma. Uh, Jesus steals back what the enemy has stolen, says, Lazarus, come forth. He's not just the God who makes bad people good. He's the God who brings dead people to life. Now, I missed a miracle. Did you catch it? That's the one we're going to talk about. Uh, John chapter 6, starting in verse number 1. 
After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill, sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Uh, But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on grassy slopes. Uh, The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely, He is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. What a disappearing act right here. That's a, a sermon in itself. But if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. When you put what you have in your hands, in this case, five loaves and two fish, When you put what you have in your hands into the hands of God, five plus two no longer equals seven. When you add God to the equation, five plus two equals 5,000, remainder 12. There is more left over than they had to begin with. This does not add up, but that's what a miracle is. Let me say this up front. We all want a miracle. We just don't want to be in a situation that necessitates one. But you can't have one without the other. If you've got one bag lunch and there are 5,000 people, by my count, you're 4,999 lunches short. Verse 5, Jesus turned to Philip and he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Now, if you grew up between 1963 and 1997, you heard this message more than once. This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. Isn't it interesting when you survey scripture, God often uh, will test our faith. Now, we tend to think of a test in negative terms, but that's how you pass the class. That's how you graduate to the next grade. That's how some of you got licensed to practice medicine or practice law or practice social work. You had to pass the test. It was the test that validated what you learned. God will often test us to graduate us to the next grade of faith. Now the message translates this 
this way. It says, Jesus said this to stretch Philip's faith. I mean, isn't that what a good teacher does? Isn't that what a good coach does? I think that's what a good pastor does. They push us and test us and stretch us. As I look back on my spiritual journey, there are seasons and situations that I would have rather avoided. But I look back on those seasons and situations, and I see now how God used them to stretch my faith. This week, we celebrated Josiah's 16th birthday. Uh, the day after he was born, uh, we signed a contract to purchase 201 F Street Northeast. It was a crack house that we would turn into Ebenezer's Coffee House. And I remember that date so well because I signed the papers at the hospital. Uh, so Josiah is one day older than that dream. Uh, the original asking price was a million dollars, but the more we prayed, the more the price went down. Uh, the contract I signed that day was for $325,000. The amazing thing is four people offered more money for it than we did, two of them real estate developers. But we had circled that property in prayer for years at that point. And so I signed the contract, but we still have to come up with a 10% down payment in 30 days or the contract's null and void. On day 29... We are $7,500 short. We have begged and borrowed, almost stolen, uh, but not quite. We could not come up with the cash. And that day, the day before the down payment was due, we got two checks in the mail from people who had no idea of the need or the time of the need in those two checks totaled exactly $7,500. Now, I remember this. Um, I remember that one of those checks came from a couple that had attended this church while he did a clerkship at the Supreme Court. And then he gets a job with a law firm, I think back in Minnesota. And they moved back to Minnesota, but they haven't found a home church. And so they decide to send the tithe on his signing bonus back to NCC. They had no idea. But you know what? If they don't give their five plus two, I don't know. If they don't give their lunch, I'm not sure. All I know is this, your sacrifice is someone else's miracle. I mean, this little boy, kind of this unsung hero, like don't even know his name. I mean, do you know how hard it is to pry food out of a kid's hands? <laughs> um, but this kid gives his lunch. And, and when you do that, when you give what little you have, it might turn into a miracle for 5,000 people. Verse 7, Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough food, uh, enough money to feed them. And so I love this. Philip, you can see kind of him doing the math in his head. It is not adding up. We can't afford to feed 5,000 people. And, and here's what I've learned about God-sized dreams. They will always be beyond your ability, and they will always be beyond your resources. In other words, you can't do it, but God can. And that's how God gets the glory. He does things that we can't take credit for. Let me just stop right here. and I think we ought to celebrate a little bit. Uh, listen, whatever you don't turn into praise turns into pride. And that's why it's so important that we be 
careful to make sure that we give credit where credit is due. This is God's church. And everything that has happened, he gets the glory for it. Uh, Let me say this. I'm going to share some numbers. I want you to know that every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters to God. Uh, We'll start here. August 29, 2005, I remember that date because uh, somehow um, we land in the New York Times, kind of crazy. They do this story about podcasting this new uh, technology, this new delivery system. And we were one of the first churches, well, one of the first churches to hire what was called a digital pastor back in the day. And we were one of the first churches to podcast. And so they got a hold of us, interviewed me. And, and uh, I think that year, maybe something like 10,000 downloads. And I thought, wow, this is crazy. Um, and so here we are, 2017, our podcast uh, went to 116 countries, and it was downloaded 546,240 times. That's our extended family. That's five plus two equals 5,000 remainder 12. I remember when we had one small group. Uh, over at what was called the Park Cafe on Lincoln Park. I led that group, and on a good night, two people showed up. And uh, I remember when we went from one group to two groups and then three, and, man, I remember when we hit 10. It was like, wow, this is getting out of control. Uh, (laughs) In 2017, um, we offered 481 small groups, led by 501 small group leaders. That might be an appropriate place to clap right there. Uh, Our worship team has written half a dozen albums, but I've got to say that one of my favorite songs is a song that uh, they wrote last year, One Word. You know, the psalmist says, sing to the Lord a new song. Can I just say, we take that literally. And we take it seriously. And uh, our music is not just for us. I mean, it's kind of funny because I think often our, when we're singing these songs, like we don't even know that many of them our team wrote. Um, but, but here's the deal. That song, uh, One Word, I think we put it on Spotify just like a month ago and change maybe. And uh, 18,000 streams on Spotify. How fun is that? Uh, to think about people uh, worshiping to the song that our team wrote. I love it. And uh, by the way, it takes about uh, 100, and uh, we have 155 volunteers on all of our worship teams who lead us in worship at our campuses. That's pretty incredible. And uh, don't just lead us on the weekends. Um, This is fun. Do a summer music camp at the Dream Center. And then that turned into... uh, a weekly music program and uh, taught by Rebecca Andre, Dave Cooley, Anna Swick, Christy Love. Got about a dozen students. How great is that? In the last year, uh, about 300 of you have said, I'm going to step up and step in. And I'm going to make a difference. You're part of uh, one of our refugee care teams. And uh, this is amazing to me. Do you know that National Community Church has done 60% of the setups in the DMV for three local agencies? We've helped 50 refugee families find homes. Uh, We've furnished those homes with the help of A18 Commons. I think it's something like 
um, 225 needs that we've met. Um, we posted something on there uh, that we wanted to give away and, and we intended it for you know, a refugee family and, and then someone asked, hey, there's a homeless friend that just found a, a place. Could we, um, could we use it for that? And of course we said no. No, are you kidding? It's awesome. Um, God is meeting needs in ways that, that we could have never even uh, imagined. So uh, we have eight soccer coaches working with 50 middle school boys, uh, some who barely speak English, um, eight listen and learn events, raising $10,000 uh, for our friends to help make ends meet. Our Gainesville campus took 25 women through an ESL uh, class. How great is that? Uh, love it. Uh, we've served 6,000 meals to our homeless friends. Uh, our media team, and I know this is all over the map, but our media team has produced 194 unique videos in 2017. But this is what I love. Um, it's not about the name over the church door. It's about the name that's above all names. And so all of those resources, free, take them. They're, they're yours. Um, we, we love leveraging other churches. And so uh, last year, 4,972 resource downloads. Uh, Ebenezer served uh, 177,285 drinks to 160,749 customers. Again, I think about that five plus two uh, on the last day. Come on. Uh, 485 drinks a day. That is coffee with a cause. And then every penny of profit we give to missions. And by the way, I still think Holy Spirit plus caffeine equals awesome. <laughs> Miracle Theater sold 11,808 tickets and uh, 4,333 bags of popcorn. And last but not least, we baptized 147 people last year. And I'm telling you, this is the tip of the iceberg. And again, every number has a name. Every one of those names has a story. And every one of those stories matters to God. Ah, I didn't even talk about 30 missions trips. Um, 52 people completing a Celebrate Recovery Step study. Oh, and we opened a Dream Center last year, right? Well, so far, so God, and the best is yet to come. So how did this happen? Because, would you not agree with me that the whole is bigger than the sum of the parts? That, like, I look at this and I'm thinking to myself, how in the world did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. You, you put your five loaves and two fit. You said, here. And you put your time and talent and treasure into the hands of God. And you believe that God could do something bigger through it. Verse 8. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Uh, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and, and two fish. And, and, you know, it's funny here because I'm not going to suggest that it seems like he's volunteering him just a little bit right here. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Uh, so my son Josiah is taking a pre-calculus this term. And they showed me his homework the other night. And you know what? There comes a moment in every parent's life. It is incredibly humbling when your kids are solving equations you don't even understand. Uh, now listen, I took calculus. I just don't remember calculus. The equations 
made no sense to me, listen, because I forgot the principles of calculus. When you forget the principles of Scripture, when you forget the promises of Scripture, life is like a calculus equation staring you in the face and you have no way of making sense of it. It doesn't add up. And so here's Jesus teaching kingdom math patiently, saying, okay, guys, here's the deal. Five loaves, you see them, count them, plus two fish, here they are, equals uh, dinner for 5,000, you see them, with 12 doggy bags left over. And the disciples are scratching their heads. Jesus might as well be trying to explain cryptocurrency or blockchains. It makes no sense to him. But let me tell you the key to this equation. The key to the whole equation. The key to your life. Putting it in the hands of God. It's putting your time, talent, and treasure in the hands of God. Can I tell you something? When you tithe, what you're doing is you're putting your finances into the hands of God. And God has a way of doing something beyond your resources. When you serve, you're putting your talent into the hands of God. And God has a way of doing something beyond your ability. When you pray, you're putting your plans into the hands of God. And God has a way of doing beyond what you could ask or imagine its kingdom Calculus, And so we think addition and subtraction. And God is thinking multiplication. You know, Google uh, is famous for 10x thinking, right? It's the heart of how they innovate. It's kind of the driving engine of their uh, X factory where they moonshot some crazy ideas like self-driving cars or balloons that deliver internet access to remote areas in the world. I mean, just crazy ideas. And they know that this isn't going to happen with a 10% improvement. No, it's going to have to be a tenfold. This is not 10%. This is 10x. What I love about this is it's fun one-upping Google, right? This is not 10x thinking. This is, this is 100x faith. This is believing. God, here's my five. And here's my two. Now let's see what you can do. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they sat down. And this is key. He gave thanks to God. Distributed uh, the food to the people. And... Uh, says, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And I think the reason here is twofold. One, not to waste anything. That's good stewardship. But two, I think he wanted to prove a point. That if you put what you have into the hands of God, at first it's going to feel like subtraction. But if you put it into God's hands, he's going to multiply it and you're going to have more leftover than you started with. Let me try to do this quickly. Uh, last weekend, I talked with our leaders a little bit about uh, something called superlinear scaling. 
Okay, here's the reality. When a church multiplies and grows the way that we have, you're going to have scalability issues, and I'll come back to that. In the early 20th century, a Swiss scientist named Max Kleber plotted mass versus metabolism of all kinds of different organisms and animals. And, and what he discovered uh, was something called negative quarter power scaling. According to Kleber's law, uh, every species gets about the same number of heartbeats. But as mass increases, metabolism uh, decreases. Uh, a cow. A thousand times as large as a woodchuck, no matter how much wood that woodchuck can chuck. A cow will live approximately 5.5 times longer, and its heart will beat approximately 5.5 times slower. Now, a century after Kleber discovered negative quarter power scaling, a theoretical physicist named Jeffrey West decided to investigate whether Kleber's law uh, whether Kleber's law held true for human-made organisms like cities. What he found is so fascinating. Now, the book is about this thick, and it's so dense, and it's one of the hardest reads I've ever done. Um, but, and so I'm going to give you the cliff notes. Here they are. If you move from a city of 10,000 to a city of 100,000, what you'll find is that some things like transportation systems or utility deliveries, they're going to actually obey that negative quarter power scaling. As mass increases, metabolism decreases. There's one exception, and the exception is innovation. If you look at key creativity data points like patents or inventions, what you'll discover is this. If you move from a city of 10,000 to 100,000, it will not be 10 times more creative it will be 17 times more creative. If you move to a city uh, uh, that is 50 times larger, it will be 130 times more innovative. In other words, that quarter power scaling is not now negative, it's positive. I think that this doesn't just apply to cities. Perhaps it applies to churches. 22 years ago, it took two volunteers, 20 minutes, to set up one of our services. Well, there was one service. Um, we only had 25 folding chairs. That's all we needed. Uh, pretty simple setup. And then we had an eight-channel amplifier. And we only used two channels, one for Laura's keyboard and one for my microphone, which honestly I really didn't need speaking to 19 people. Fast forward, and did you know it takes about 500 volunteers to pull off our 13 services across eight campuses at NCC? Um, that required some super linear scaling over the years. I'll have a little bit of fun with this. In 2010, we had about 100 kids across our campuses. We now have more volunteers in NCC Kids than we had kids in 2010. Uh, last weekend, we had 550 kids across our campuses. We did 58 baby dedications last year, which makes me wonder, what have you been doing? <laughs> Keep doing it. Do more of it. It's church growth. Listen, 
healthy organisms grow. And as long as there's a person in the DMV that doesn't know the joy and the peace and the grace of a relationship with the God who created them and has plans and purposes for their life, we better keep growing. And if you're growing, you need to continue scaling. How do we scale for a thousand groups? How do we scale for 2,000 kids if you keep doing what you're doing? Uh, how do we scale for a hundred church plants? How do we scale for 52 mission trips? Well, I don't have time this weekend to give you all of the answers because I don't have them yet. I just want you to know that we're asking these questions. And I do want to tell you a few ways in which we're trying to scale this thing. Now, again, part of why I want to bring some of this up before we have all the answers is because some of the answers are going to come from you. Because there are things that you do that can help us figure out how to scale this thing. But here's a few things I know for sure. I know that, uh, listen, our multi-site vision has gotten us to where we are. Praise God. As we add campuses, 2020 vision, 20 expressions by 2020. The other half of that give 2 million emissions every year. Now, good news is we already hit that 2 million goal. And so we're going to keep giving more. Uh, we want to grow more so we can give more. And, and listen, um, there are more campuses to be launched. But I really believe that what we need to do is look for some high leverage points in this system where we're going to get the best return on investment. And I have a hunch that the best return on investment is church planting. Now, we've planted half a dozen churches, but I think that there's a way for us to uh, maybe put our five and two in a way that God might do something that might make us someday look back on our 2020 vision and smile because it was for a season, but God wanted to do something bigger than what we were imagining. Uh, this year, we will plant Bridges Church in Nashville. Uh, Curtis Parks uh, was on our staff for eight years, was campus pastor, was our worship director. Man, he has got our DNA. Uh, what a joy um, to invest in that church plant and say, come on, we are in your corner. Let's do this thing. I'm not going to put a number on it, but I will say this. We have the potential within the womb of this church to plant hundreds of churches that can advance God's kingdom around this country and around the world. Let me add on that we're loving on churches we're coaching churches. We're mentoring church. We've probably had a few hundred churches that have launched in movie theaters that have said, hey, will you help us get our game on? 
And we're like, absolutely. Um, we've given away our business plan for Ebenezer's to uh, probably 500 people. Do you know there are a couple dozen cafes, coffee houses across the country that would say uh, the inspiration, the plan uh, for their kingdom venture was Ebenezer. So praise God. I just feel like we might need to do a better job of strategizing and streamlining so that there is a network that enables us to turn that five plus two into thousands of churches that we're helping uh, a little bit more. Are you tracking with me? And so finally, I would say this, and this is the toughest one for me not to go into detail about, but would you hang in there for just a couple of months? And I may even have some pictures to show you, okay? I believe that one of the ways we scale ourselves is by building facilities. Now, you know how we roll. We, we do not build church buildings, um, but I think there's an opportunity for us to build some marketplaces that perhaps on a much larger scale than Ebenezer's impact the communities that we're in. Uh, listen, I wish I could give the whole backstory. It's a miracle, but I think you know uh, we own a castle uh, at 8th and M Street. It's a city block. We did not have a category for this. Now, we've had two tenants, and the revenue from their rent nets half a million for the kingdom every year. But we, we didn't buy it to lease it. We bought it to leverage it for his kingdom. And so you stay tuned because a pop-up campus is coming your way. And I think it's a prototype of what we're going to be able to do in some different areas around the DMV. It's so hard for me just to kind of dip into the water there and come back up. But uh, I will say this, that property is 28.8 times larger than Ebenezer's. Is it possible that God wants to do something so much bigger? And I'll tell you the way we're thinking. One of our core convictions is that the church belongs in the middle of the marketplace. It's why we built a coffee house. Because Jesus didn't just hang out at synagogues. He hung out at wells. Oh, no, I'm preaching a whole nother message. I'm too far into it. Listen, in 96, the, the, the marketplace was meeting in a movie theater. But then 10 years later, we had the capacity to create a marketplace called Ebenezer's. Um, we have 100,000 square feet at our disposal. And we're dreaming. Uh, what, what, what does it mean to be in the middle of the marketplace right here, right now? Uh, this isn't going to sound real sexy, but it might be a child development center. Um, there are so many people who have no place where their kids can go during the day as two parents work. Listen, that might be one way we meet a real need in real time. Um, and we've got some space where we can do some retail. If you think Union Market or some other venues, um, listen, we have the capacity to do something. Now, we're going to need God's help. And this is going to have to be a team effort. But it's going to be a prototype. And a prototype is something that you intend to do again and again. And so, stay tuned. I'm going to leave it there. Let me try to close with this. Part of what I love about this story, about this miracle, is that the hero is a little boy. Now, the hero is Jesus, always. Um, but the supporting actor is this little boy, no name. And what it tells me 
is that there is a God who loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Can, can I just ask the question? Do you ever feel incredibly ordinary? Do you ever feel incredibly average? I had one of these moments. Because actually, I honestly feel below average often. Um, I got the results of the Chicago Marathon sent in magazine form. It was this thick because 44,340 people ran the race. And so um, whose name do you think I look for? Um, so I'm looking up my results and uh, I have some good news. I finish in the top half. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I literally, I kid you not. It's not like exactly in the middle, but it is so close by like a few people. That I'm like, I feel like I am the epitome of average right now. And this was so good for me because you know how competitive your pastor is. Like, I love to win. I hate to lose. And honestly, I needed to do it not just to celebrate God healing my asthma. I needed to do it because sometimes you have to do something where you know that your very best is absolutely ordinary. <laughs> and and, um, and so I, I get this feeling often um, and it made me think of Paul's words. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things. That's us. Uh, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things. That's us. To shame the strong. God chose the lowly things. That's us. And the despised things and the things that are not. To nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. See, that's the deal. God loves using ordinary people. We want to do amazing things from God. But you've heard me say this before. That's not our job. God is the one who does amazing things for us. Our job, Joshua 3.5, is to consecrate ourselves. In other words, to give all of us to all of him. Even if that's just a bag lunch with five fish and two loaves. And what we do is we consecrate ourselves by giving our time and talent and treasure and saying, God, it's all from you and it's all for you. I'm putting it in your hands. And then God does something amazing in and through us. You may feel average. You may feel insignificant. You might feel unimportant. I want you to know today you are invaluable and irreplaceable. There is no one else who can step in and take your place. And if you do little things like they're big things, I believe God's going to do big things like they're little things. This week, read an interesting story about Pixar. Produced some of our favorite films, right? Toy Story, Cars, Monsters, Inc., The Incredibles, personal favorite, Up. When someone is hired at Pixar, whether it's an animator, administrative assistant, or barista in the company cafe, they get ushered into the theater at Pixar for screenings. They get seated in the fifth row. That's the row where the directors sit. It's Pixar's way of saying, whatever you were before, you're a filmmaker now. First Peter 2, 5 says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Peter says, what's more, you are his holy priest. That's God's way of saying, come on, sit in the fifth row. 
This is everybody's game. This is about all of us. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, you are a priest. This is the priesthood of believers. You may not feel like it, may not look like it, but that's what you are. There never has been, never will be anyone like you. Not a testament to you, testament to the God who created you. Means no one can take your place. No one can worship like you. No one can serve like you. No one can lead like you. No one can love like you. No one can give like you. And I don't know where you're sitting, Gainesville or Kingstown or Potomac Yard. If you're at the Lincoln, you have a seat number. If you're at Boston, you're probably reclining right now. But I want you to know, no matter where you're seated, you're in the fifth row. You're in the fifth row. You're a filmmaker now. You are a priest. You are part of this thing. And if you don't hear anything else this week, and I hope you hear your pastor say, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I am continually astounded by the generous giving, the sacrificial serving, the way that you bring your five loaves and your two fish and you put it into God's hands. And together we say, let's see what God does. Five plus two equals 5,000, remainder 12. Let's pray.